California or something. Uh, let me pray before we get into this. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we do not live in a reality that is devoid of your word. We cannot imagine what that would look like. We know that your word has defined more than we would even understand. We know that this Decalogue, these Ten Commandments, have defined history and societies ever since they were given. That they've infected and, and uh, influenced governments, people, judiciary systems, just the way that people live. But we also know that they are written on our hearts, that there is something about every human in this world that knows that these are right. That there's something foundational to being human that is absolutely connected with you. So we give you all praise for that. And we stand in humble awe of the fact that we have the God of the universe that would speak to us, that would love us enough to direct us and guide us and have relationship with us. So we just pray that we could pay attention for the next few minutes to hear what you have to say and not what Jason has to say. So we pray that as I speak, that your voice would ring loud and clear and that anything Jason would turn into the peanuts teacher and just fade into the background. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You know the peanuts teacher, right? The womp, 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 womp. <laughs> I am uh, reluctant to bring up this first illustration because I, I don't want to promote, promote this thing. So men, I, I, men and women these days especially, right? But Ashley Madison, if you don't know, is a website that is specifically created to, to facilitate infidelity in marriages. It's terrible. Their homepage has a picture of a woman with her finger up through her mouth as if to say, shh. Right? And their tagline is, uh, life is short, have an affair. Isn't that, isn't that evil? Totally evil, right? In 2014, they conducted a poll about the religious affiliation of their membership. And it found that out of 60,000 uh, respondents in the U.S., that one in four were born-again evangelicals. And uh, the second uh, largest group was Catholics at 22.75% and Protestants, overall Protestants, at 22.7%. The Sixth Commandment speaks directly into a culture that we live in right now that has an increasing acceptance of infidelity, often applauded and often even recommended with some saying a good affair keeps the spark in a marriage, right? Untrue evil and destructive advice. Um, I have friends right now that are in polyamorous relationships, a mixture of homosexual and heterosexual relationships, and they celebrate it quite openly over social media. And it is absolutely, for a guy that's 55 years old, it's absolutely a new world, isn't it? I think we all feel that. But it's not just Americans. Uh, when I was in Indonesia, I taught classes to healthcare workers in the city who said that they didn't know of one person, they literally did not know of one person who was not in an affair with somebody. Interestingly, though, they claimed that this did not include Christians. 
only Muslims. As a matter of fact, young Muslim women wanted to marry a Christian man because they knew that he would love them and stay faithful to them. But nonetheless, apparently this does include those who, and I would, I would categorize it as identify as Christians at some level. Exodus 20, verse 14, the seventh commandment of the Decalogue says, you shall not commit adultery, period, right? And we may think this one, uh, like the prior commandment against murder, a simple command to be simply obeyed, right? However, the depressing study by Ashley Madison shows that those who identify as Christians also struggle with infidelity. Now, I should clarify, I want to clarify this, uh, that 60,000 respondents is a very small percentage of uh, this, this population in our country, right? And, and I've found that although this does happen in church, that among born-again Christians who are consistently walking with the Lord, infidelity is not only rare, but I would say almost non-existent. I don't know, I'm not sure you can walk with the Lord and have an affair at the same time. It doesn't, those th- two things are mutually exclusive. So the optimal phrase is walking with the Lord, walking with God, right? So we have to read between lines on statistics at times. When Christians are polled, we have to remember that it includes all denominations, and many are cultural Christians who have never had a regenerative regenerative experience of Jesus. George Barna recently sent out a poll which uh, says that only 13%, listen to those numbers, 13% of teaching pastors, in other words, guys in the pulpit like me, right, and 30% of all people in pastoral positions, meaning every pastor, like youth pastor to executive pastor and everything, uh, worship pastors, stuff like that, one in three hold to a biblical worldview. One in three. Uh, In other words, many of our churches these days and their leadership today are not preaching the gospel according to the scriptures. That is just a fact. And we know that that does not lead to true transformative salvation in peoples since they worship literally a false god with a Christian cloak around it, right? Therefore, we are, they are, or they are unable to sort of truly reflect Christ in life, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that on August 28th. But let's also realize that an organization like Ashley Madison, as evil as they are, and I would say they are evil, may not be above fudging the numbers, knowing the power of suggestion. When somebody says, well, they're doing it, why shouldn't I, right? Which is why our unification under scriptural sort of beliefs and values is absolutely paramount, especially these days. Suffice it to say that God wants wants us to love one another, right? that we can't love one another when we're consistently breaking trust in our relationships. God cares about your faithfulness in your marriage, right? Infidelity impacts a large circle of people in horrific ways, and it absolutely diminishes the name of Christ in society, doesn't it? In Letter from Jim, Garrison Keeler tells the story of a man who is working in the admissions office of a local college who befriends this young, attractive co-worker 
who sees him quite differently than his family sees him. She, she sees him as having worth and value, whereas in the eyes of his family, Jim feels, optimal word, feels, he only exists to provide money to his wife so that she can stay home and for his kids to get whatever they want. And as he contemplates this already planned work conference that he's going to go to with this attractive co-worker, he says that I believe that men and women can part for many reasons, including a lack of appreciation. Recently, I was sitting with a, a young couple, a young Christian couple, who lead their Bible study at their church, and they were distraught since uh, in their Bible study, one woman declared one night that she had decided to divorce her husband uh, for simple little things, like forgetting to put the dishes away or leaving his clothes on the floor. And she equated this to be some great lack of appreciation in her husband. I mean, if I pulled the wives in this room, I'm sure you got all your husbands leave their clothes on the floor. Um, But it felt to her to be a, a very legitimate excuse to divorce her husband. Now, the couple speaking were so surprised and so distraught since everyone else in the Bible study agreed with her. And they were the only dissenters. It was really surprising to them. It's one of those aha moments of actually how deep our theology and our faith actually goes. It reveals a shallow discipleship, a spiritual immaturity, and a deconstruction of faith that is absolutely it has damaging ramifications across the board, right? Recently, I had a friend with three children walk out on his wife after starting an affair at, at his office with a woman, and it seems he was just tired and overwhelmed with fa- fatherhood, right? His wife, I will admit, no, I know her very well, stellar, stellar lady, intelligent lady, She is above board, she's beautiful, she's kind, she walks strongly with Jesus, and she loved him very, very well. But he followed his feelings and not Christ. I said to somebody this week, there was somebody, we had a discussion about an issue between two people, and I told them, you did great in that that situation. You were above board. And we've been conditioned to think that in every situation, the two, two have to tango, that they do something and we do something. Not always the case. Not always the case. Some people just get drug away by their own, own desires and enticed and giving birth to sin, right? So he, he followed his feelings. He didn't follow Christ. And he cut off all communication with his family and friends at church and, and everywhere else. And he simply followed his heart. That bad advice that I brought up, I think, last week. His actions have devastated the extended family and will have far-reaching ramifications for his children, and he has totally belittled the name of Christ in his community. That's how serious this is. And that is a story that's far too often told, isn't it? It's a sad story. Men, let me give you some advice that some of you could probably give yourselves. From a guy that's been married... 30-plus years, fathered four children, foster-fathered many more, there will come a time in your marriage, in your your life, when you're going to feel like a roommate in your own home. You're going to feel that way, right? You will not feel like father and husband, 
but you're going to feel like you're just there to pay the bills. That is a feeling and not a fact. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Christians do not run on our feelings. Our feelings come under Christ. When we run on, when we run on, we, we run on facts, right? So the truth of who we are in Christ as a man, as a father, as a husband in this world, and vice versa for women with whatever role they play, right? Feelings change, facts don't. Feelings change and facts don't. Truth does not change. The mature Christian man doesn't go searching for solace in in other ways, nor does he walk out on his responsibilities. Rather, he stays at the table, he communicates, he accepts the ups and downs of life, and he realizes that his marriage and his family are an absolute witness of Christ in this world. And if you're feeling those feelings, if if your eye is, is, is wandering someplace, Grab a mature Christian brother or sister if you're, if you're, on, if you're, if you're a wife and, and, and grab one or two of them and confess it to them. This, this is important. Confess it to them. Allow them to speak truth back into your soul. And if you are entertaining them at a, any great level, know that you are probably not doing the right things to feed your soul. Those things do not come about on their own. They don't just start suddenly. I don't have a great marriage with my wife and, you know, wonderful family and all this kind of stuff and then suddenly see some beautiful woman. I mean, I'd cheat on my wife, but always, if that were the case, there's a lot of beautiful women in the world. They, these things don't come about in just one moment. They come with a history of unfolding. Yeah, don't, don't, don't praise too much. She might start to think. <laughs> but thank you for the amens. Right? <laughs> But these practices that we unload, right, which, which keep us spiritually healthy, such as Christian, sincere, consistent Christian fellowship and our own prayer lives and our own Bible study, right? The command against adultery is partly rooted, partly rooted in our appreciation of our spouse uh, that God has given us, right? And I remember one pastor's advice while officiating a wedding one time. I was at the wedding watching him officiate. And he said, one day you will meet someone else that you could have married. But on that day, remember that this is the person standing before you right now that God has given you to love. Stay committed to them. Fidelity in marriage means each partner sort of continues to appreciate the other. And no matter how unappreciated a spouse may feel by the other, there is no biblical warrant or excuse for infidelity. There's just not. However, when we don't take the time to nurture our relationship with one another, with Christ and with other Christians, it can leave us very vulnerable to temptation. Further in his letter uh, to Garrison Keeler, Jim observes, As I sat on the lawn looking down the street, I saw that we all depend on each other. I think this is a great quote. I saw that I thought my sins could be secret, that they could be no more secret, but that they could be no more. No, I'm sorry. I just screwed this up. I saw that although my sins could be secret, that they could be no more secret than an earthquake. Right? All these houses, all these families, 
my infidelity will somehow shake them. Even the people I don't talk to on my street will be shaken by my divorce, by my infidelity, somehow, right? That is very true. We often don't think of the consequences, or if we do, we deny them in our prideful self-centeredness. And we often also don't realize how sort of influential our lives are to all the people that are around us. People are watching us all the time. So often a sin like infidelity can be thought of as a secret, harmless sin, but that is far, far, far from the case, isn't it? It really is. It's important, again, to consider the Ten Commandments as Jesus saw them, an expression of loving God and an expression of loving others. One through four, five through ten, right? Those two lists. And one, when one is broken, it's an act of non-love, towards others, and towards God. Infidelity is an act which is always devastating for those in our circle of friends and families and to the name of Christ even more importantly. Several years ago, clinical psychologist Anna Nogales uh, decided to study the impact of infidelity on children, and she found that 75% felt betrayed by their cheating parents, that 80% said it affected their attitude towards love and relationships, And 70% said they believed it impacted their ability to trust others. The sin of infidelity can hurt children in such a way that for the rest of their lives, they are vulnerable to their relationships not being uh, lived out the way that God intended them to be. Because our sin leaves its residue on others. It really does. In Matthew 5, 27 through 28, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Vice versa for the ladies, right? I I imagine you would struggle greatly if I took my shirt off this morning. No, I'm just kidding. I got a dad bod. But anyway, but... uh, But much like Jesus did with the prior commandment, you know, do not murder, he expands upon this commandment very well, right? If we look at another person with lust in our heart, we're already guilty of adultery. And as with murder, he goes to the root of the physical act, doesn't he? The motivation of the heart. And he shows us, in God's eyes, if the seed is in the heart, then we're already guilty regardless of whether the seed is sprouted into physical action or not. One day in seminary, a professor was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount and how it strips down our false righteousness and sort of reveals the sin inside of everyone's heart. And when we we truly read, read the Decalogue, you know, and we're honest with ourselves that we wriggle under the thumb of God as we should because the law exposes our sin at the core, leaving us helpless before God, need, leaving us in a real, like a state of realization that we need salvation, right? And one of the professor's students spoke up and, and said that they didn't struggle with the sins that Jesus spoke of in this passage. And the professor responded that, we might all lie to ourselves and say that that's true, but, if, if it, but, but he was willing to bet that if a pharmaceutical company came out with a drug that suppressed lust, that every single person in the class would want a prescription. 
the awkward silence in the room sort of proved that his words were true. Ray, Ray Comfort's videos on YouTube, uh, his YouTube channel, have hundreds of short videos of him sharing the gospel on the streets with people. And one, one question that he always asks is, have you ever looked at another person with lust in your heart? And almost everybody says, yeah, I've done that. Just did it five minutes ago, you know. One guy claimed that he never had, to which Ray immediately responded, well, I know from your answer that you're not only an adulterer, but that you're also a liar. No one has never not broke this commandment. Can I say that? Never not? Anyway, you know what I'm saying. But God wants us to be faithful, right, to our spouse, not just in deed, but also in thought as well. So how do we do that? Well, some people would, uh, they have the suggestion of practicing the, the Billy Graham rule, right? If you're old enough, you remember Billy Graham. And he was an evangelist, and he came up with this rule to govern his life so that he wouldn't fall into sexual temptation in, merit, or in his ministry. Um, and the rule he followed was to never, never travel or meet with or eat alone with a woman other than his wife. It's pretty limiting, pretty strict, right? And that was a, sort of a wise rule for a, a traveling evangelist in his position since we know that Billy Graham was under intense scrutiny from the public at all times, which, which, which would have loved to see him fall, right? A public which would twist the most in innocent of encounters or to have an unscrupulous woman who might accuse him without a witness present even though he was innocent, right? However, it can be prob problematic, right? Inadvertently sexualizing the opposite sex and limiting their opportunities. As Tish Harris and Warren points out in her Christianity Today article, she says, after the fall of a prominent Christian leader in, in the news, many were adopting Billy Graham's rule and Southwest, Southeastern Baptist uh, Theological Seminary President Danny Aiken tweeted, a valuable lesson we all can learn from this tragic situation. Follow the Billy Graham rule. If you are married, never be alone with someone of the opposite sex who, is, who isn't your spouse. Never. But she responds, this rule, in its most pristine form, renders male and female friendships impossible. However, unintentionally, it communicates to women that they are fundamentally dangerous and it bars men from meaningful mentorship or pastoral care of women vice versa, and vice versa. I was leading a mission trip once. If you've been around this church, you've heard this story. But I was leading a mission trip once and where we decided that in the middle of the trip, uh, we would stay at a Western hotel and just be our American Western selves for a day because we were going to be in a Muslim country that was very limiting. We had to dress, you know, very conservatively, and, you know, we had to, you know, button it up and all that kind of stuff. And so we decided to go to a Sheraton right in the middle of the trip and just let ourselves be ourselves for the day. And so we were having meetings preparing for the trip. And at one of these meetings, a young guy stood up and he said, I would appreciate, it sounds so spiritual, this guy, right? I would appreciate it if, if, if you women, when we go to the hotel, would not wear bikinis. Because, you know, that would help my thought life, right? I don't, I, I don't want to struggle. It sounds so spiritual. And one of the women wisely said, and I know she liked to wear bikinis, she said, sure, I'll abide by that as long as you don't take off your shirt, right? 
since his comment communicated that women were the problem. Not true. She was wisely pointing out that legalism and desire, both, you know, they go both ways, don't they? Warren adds, some think that Billy, the Billy Graham rule is akin to buckling your seatbelt, right? But she says, I'd submit that the Billy Graham rule is less like buckling your seatbelt and more akin to refusing to share the road with anyone else and then claiming that's the only safe way to drive. The answer is never legalism. Never, never, never legalism. As well as it's never licentiousness. Those are the two extremes, right? It's between the two where faith governs, right? She asks, how do men and women cultivate self-control, trustworthiness, and transparency, and take up practices that nudge them towards healthy relationships and boundaries? And then she adds, and this is a great quote, between legalism and license lies the messier space of wisdom and cultivation of virtue. It's in that space where we, as individuals and in relationships, flourish. People need meaningful relationships with members of the opposite sex, and they need them to be safe and honoring and full of integrity. Single women in this church need their pastor to be full of integrity in this area. Cat, so sorry, but Cat's single lady. If I never would meet with Cat to talk about life, if she could not trust me in, in, in a restaurant to sit and talk about faith and life, where would we be, right? So legalism is never the answer, I don't think. Now, for Billy Graham, maybe it was necessary. I'm not saying that, all right? I had a friend once who had a porn addiction, and he confessed that addiction uh, and almost cost him his marriage. <laughs> it was a rough patch. We were good friends. And rightly so, at the start of his, you know, new life, you know, uh, turning away from all that, he drew his boundaries extremely strongly, right? And there was a time for that. It, he needed to do that for a period of time. That was right. That was good for him. He needed to make total breaks. But eventually, he needed to really address his heart issues, didn't he? He needed to get to the point where he didn't live in those thoughts. That that wasn't his first thought. He needed to take those thoughts captive to Christ in order to be able to live well in community with other people and the opposite sex and be able to do ministry with people, right? We had an argument after about a year or two years, I forget, of him doing all this stuff. And, and you know, as he went through his process, he refused to take his kids to the beach since there were women at the beach in bikinis, obviously. And I told him, that's no way to live, dude, right? His initial need to draw these tight boundaries needed to be challenged since it was affecting others and his ability to grow in healthy in faith and, and in ministry towards people. I have another story. I love these stories. I tell the, these stories often. But I have another friend who was sitting in a Muslim country in an outdoor cafe along a street with a couple of Muslim men sitting there with him. And they were just talking in this cafe, and they paid little, the Muslim men paid very little attention to the Western women who walked by in shorty shorts and halter tops and things like that. And he was kind of surprised by that. But they, they never paid attention to them. But when a woman in full burqa passed by, right, 
From head to toe, she is covered except for her hands and except for her eyes. Right? And she passed by, and her hands are painted with henna, and she's got, like, dark mascara on her eyes. And, you know, sort of the, the wind blows against the fab- fabric, showing her feminine form underneath. The cat calls began. Do you see what I'm saying? It's an issue of heart and mind, not of external stimuli. It really is not. For some, the opposite sex could be dressed in a potato sack, right? And we would still entertain lustful thoughts. We, that's what we are. That's why, that's why we need Jesus. And so the question really is, where is the fruit of the Spirit? Where is our self-control? Where is our spiritual maturity? Warren, maybe this is helpful, but Warren gives some ways that she and her hubby uh, cultivate this stuff. She says that they have 15 things that govern their marital relationship. And as I look at this, I think there's a lot of this that my wife and I practice. She says, number one, we're careful about staying close. We talk a lot. We share what's going on in our hearts. Uh, We have, number two, we have no secrets. Number three, we know each other's passwords. Uh, number four, we rarely hang out with the opposite sex friends, uh, opposite sex friends alone at night, and never at a house, and never at a hotel. Number five, we have close friends of the opposite sex, but nobody is as close as our spouse with us. Number six, we don't tell someone of the opposite sex something that we haven't told our spouse. Yeah, if you're telling somebody else something, yeah, there's something going on there, right? Number seven, he knows every time I hang out with someone of the opposite sex, and vice versa. Number eight, if, if we hang out with someone of the opposite sex, our spouse is always invited to do that with us. Number nine, those we hang out with are mutual friends. Number ten, if there's even the faintest attraction to someone, even distant potential weirdness, we tell our spouse that day. Number eleven, we never complain about our spouse to a friend of the opposite sex. Number 12, we try to be very aware of the emotional and marital health of the people that we hang out with because they influence us, right? Number 13, if we're alone with a member of the opposite sex, we never discuss sex or our sex lives or say anything or anyone is sexy. That's a a good one. Number 14, we pray for our marriage. We have close friends. We have a small group. We have accountability. We have spiritual directors. And we realize that we need God's constant mercy. Number 14 is the the practice of the Christian life. It's those little things that we do to keep ourselves healthy. And number 15, if a situation arises where we need to make some exception to these rules, we flex with it, right? Now, cutting and pasting, let me be very clear, cutting and pasting another Christian's rule into a different situation may not always be the wise choice, right? With the help of God and the help of our spouse, we should seek to set our own boundaries for faithfulness, which reflect our own unique circumstances. But let me caution you, do not lie to yourself. You know when you're doing it. You, sit, you feel it, like, ah, I'm just trying to get away with something, Right? As Warren said, this is worth saying again, between legalism and license lies the messier space of wisdom and cultivation of virtue. It's in that space where we as individuals and and in relationships flourish. People need meaningful relationships with members of the opposite sex. And they need them to be safe and honoring and full of integrity. And that is not any more true today. I mean, it's it's probably more true today than any time, right? With all of our 
Ravi Zacharias and all these just major leaders falling into this stuff. It is devastating to the church. Is there any reason why the world will not listen to us? That's a pretty good one, right? Between priests and Ravi Zacharias and people like that that are just falling into these things, it is damaging the church left and right. Remember, your spouse is bone of your bones and flesh of your flesh. Privacy in that relationship is absolutely unwise. It really is. When you feel the desire to keep something from your spouse, you are playing with fire. And if you do not adjust, you'll not only burn yourself, but everyone else around you, including Christ's name. And I should add that spouses, all of us, need not be so fragile, right? So insecure about our spouse. My spouse, Kim, myself as well, we are sinners in need of God's grace. We will never be perfect. And so when my wife says something to me, which I can't ever remember to time, sweetheart. I think she's never come to me and said something like this. But if she were ever to come to me and say, wow, I, I, I'm just really attracted to this guy. I've got to watch this. I, I need not be so fragile. I need to say, God bless you. Let me pray for you, sweetheart. You know? And uphold her in that. I don't need to be like, whoa, what's going on with that? Like, what's wrong with me? Like, that's not the response, right? The response is, thank you for being loving. Thank you for being mature. And thank you for coming to me with that, right? God wants us to love one another, and we can't love one another if we're actively breaking trust in relationships. God cares about your faithfulness. Infidelity can impact a large, or does impact, a large circle of people in horrific ways, and it speaks negatively towards Christ and his church, and it impedes the ministry of the church. And it impedes the ministry of Christ. So, Amen. I'm done with it. You can relax. But let's take a moment and be confessional by ourselves before the Lord. I'll open us and close us with this. Father, we thank you that you speak so, oh man, you, like sometimes it's like just a needle going into our heart. Sometimes it's so, just so pressing on us. And I imagine that somebody in this room is probably feeling that. But I pray that the rest of us that don't really feel it right now would actually take these words to heart and would think deeply on them. Father, let us confess right now where we've been errant in this place. 